0: Okay, Shalom, everyone. Welcome visitors and guests. <laughs> we have
1: two.
0: <laughs> so we're going to start out in our tour portion. I just want to cover a few things there, and then we're going to go up to Nehemiah. And uh, we're going to read in Nehemiah. But our Torah portion begins in uh, Numbers, chapter 8.
1: I was gonna preach this week. I would
0: have preached in Nehemiah 13th. I just finished it. Oh, did you? Yeah. We're not gonna be that far through
1: Nehemiah. Oh, good. I'll do it
0: next. Really early. Early in the chat. In the. It's not a competition. You know, and if I preached it, I'd make you feel bad. So. Edit that part out. This is raw and uncut. All right, numbers. What did I say? Eight. Eight. Distracted. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny too because we were talking about this very thing last time you were here, Eric, with the Levites and the firstborn, and then yes. I think it was that I was talking with you. We were wondering, you know, how did um, how did the Levites get cleansed? if there wasn't any ashes of the red heifer. And so as I read this, so the red heifer doesn't show up actually until 19, chapter 19 in this book. And so the Levites actually get cleansed before that happens. So, you know, with what the temples Institute's doing, trying to raise kids that never touched the ground, I mean, you're born unclean. You know, how will they clean you know? new clean priests, though, for the... I have no idea. I don't know. Well,
1: they're trying to breed the red heifer.
0: Yeah, that's even if their their qualifications of what the red heifer is even what the qualifications really are. You know, that's why I think there's a lot we still don't know and understand, and and um, what they're doing over there may not, in fact, be you know what we read about in the scripture as far as the, you know the rebuilding of the eventual well, temple. Are we talking here? Yeah, you know,
1: I just have a hard time that Yeshua's going to come back and say, "Oh, guys, thanks so much for getting this all ready for me."
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, to me, you could, you could link it into existence. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So anyways, I just thought it was interesting that, you know. So we'll, we'll read about a little bit of it, and I'll talk about a little bit of it here. So we're in chapter, Numbers chapter 8. We're going to skip down um, to verse 5. And Jehovah spoke unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel, and cleanse them. And thou shalt, thou shalt do unto them. Cleanse them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purifying upon them, and let them shave all their flesh, and let them wash their clothes, and so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bullock with his meat offering, even fine flour mingled with oil, Another and another young bullock shalt thou take for a sin offering. And thou shalt bring the Levites before the tabernacle of the congregation, and shalt gather the whole assembly of the children of Israel together. I think this is really cool what happens here, and we're gonna talk about it so basically you have the levites get picked out and then they get purified they have to wash their body wash their clothes and shave all the hair off their body which is interesting to me because um not to get too like but your hair is basically um you know what what you know especially for women the longer down that that hair and what was going on in that hair and in your body was whatever it could be could be a year ago and so that's still hanging around with you so to speak and it's really fascinating because you know it's like a complete fresh start basically is what they start from you, you get rid of everything you know you cleanse your clothes you cleanse your body you get rid of all your hair any remnants of what you, you know you've been through and gone through and you start fresh and, and new in this task and so I just found it interesting I mean that, that and that makes them clean so, uh, they bring the, the Levites, and um, verse 10, Thou shalt bring the Levites before Yehovah, and the children of Israel shall put their hands upon the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before Yehovah for an offering of the children of Israel, that they may execute the service of Yehovah. So, this is, this is not a, uh, well, it is a special thing, but it's not, it's not an unknown or a new thing that, that they're doing here with the priests when you would bring an offering or a sin offering particular to the tabernacle, you would lay your hands on that animal and you would confess your sins and uh, thereby transferring that to the animal. And I think there's physical things that actually went on there. That's part of the reason why they didn't eat the fat and they didn't eat the liver in these certain areas because those were the filters of the blood. So I think that there's physical things that were going on there. So the, the children of Israel would all come and they would lay their hands on on the Levites, because they were being offered up unto God. And then Aaron would, would offer them. And, and traditionally, with an animal, he would uh, wave certain parts of it and then burn it up. It's obviously not going to happen here, but, but it's, it's the same processes that's happening because they are going to be uh, take the place of the firstborn, which would be offered. And instead of being slain, um, they, they are dedicated in service, much like Samuel was. So, uh, 12, and the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the bullocks and now shall offer uh, the one for a sin offering and another for a burn offering unto Yehovah to make atonement for the Levites. And so, you know, so you got all the people who lay their hands on the Levites and then the Levites lay their, are laying, so you can almost picture this like train, you know, um, uh, of... You know, laying hands on everybody. And could you imagine if the whole community was doing that? You know, touching everybody and then going all the way up and onto those two blocks? You know, I don't know. That's interesting. And so, then they were slain, one for a sin offering, one for a burnt offering. Um, 13. And thou shalt set the Levites before Aaron, before his sons, and offer them for an offering unto Jehovah Thus thou shalt separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. After that shall the Levites go in to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt cleanse them and offer them for an offering. For they are wholly given unto me from among the children of Israel, instead of such as open every womb, even instead of the firstborn of all the children of Israel, have I taken them unto me. For all the firstborn of the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. And I have taken the Levites from all the firstborn of the children of Israel. So, um, because the firstborn is supposed to be dedicated unto God, and it goes back to him, and is offered or burned up, the same thing goes for his people. And so, uh, the children of Israel, there's 12 sons, and so instead of, you know, Reuben getting slain, or Ephraim who gets set as the firstborn, uh, the, the Levites are separated out of those 12 sons. And they are given unto God to serve in his presence, essentially, and to minister in the tabernacle, and the temple, and to teach the people God's word and God's ways. And so they are, in a sense, removed physically from out of the tribes... And, and, the, and the model for that is they no longer have possession of lands. They are, they are dedicated solely uh, to service. And so they don't inherit any lands. They, the only lands that they get are uh, the refugee cities and I think like 2,000 cubits out and around those cities. And so because of that and their service to God, they have no ability to make a living and to farm. And so they are then reliant upon the rest of the tribes To bring their tithes and their offerings. And that's what sustains them. And so it's the duty of the rest of Israel, of the rest of the tribes, to support them. Because they have literally given their lives for them. For for the rest of the 12, uh, the rest of the tribes there. And so because they take the place of their firstborn that, that are born unto them. You then sustain them for their service before God. Um, and so that's the picture of what's going on here. And um,
1: so they take the, the place of the firstborn of the rest of the, the tribes. Exactly. And the, and the children. Yeah, for every
0: yeah, family. Right. I've
1: always wondered about when we look at the children of Israel, God's chosen people, it's the 12 tribes, but why one of them. Didn't get the actual inheritance right. that all the others get, and basically become the servants too. Right. The rest of the tribes right. never understood it because it's he always references them as his people, but yet then there's this decentralization. Yeah, a little so bit. But then for, they carry this symbiotic relation. Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It for for whatever reason, because God chose, be because God chose to take the. Because the first of everything goes to him, whether it's your crops, your animals, or or even your children. Everything, the first of everything goes to God and is dedicated to them. And since it's offered or burnt up or eaten, it's not, um, it doesn't hang around, so to speak. You can't, you know, God doesn't want human sacrifice, obviously. And so, instead of every family all through Israel, every time one of their Firstborn comes along and they, you know, get shipped off to Jerusalem to do the service. Instead, God said, you know, I'll take all the Levites. And then there was numbering of them. And if they didn't, it goes through that in other passages. And if the number didn't equal out and there was enough of them, which I believe there was the case, they had to then pay five shekels or something like that. And um, they also, every time you did have a, like when Yeshua was, was born and they went up to the temple, they had to offer an offering, and you had to um, give a, a certain monetary amount to to ransom your firstborn basically back. And so the Levites take the place of them. And so because of that, then you support them because you get to keep your you know firstborn at home, and they don't have to go up there. And so you support them in their service of the tabernacle and the temple and what they're doing. And um, so. You know, it's interesting to me because this is where part of my you know, selfish nature comes into play, thinking, well, what if I didn't want to be a Levite and have to do that service? What if I wanted to be uh, um, whatever, do something else, a fisherman up in the Galilee, you know, and didn't want to? Well, too bad. That's just life. Get over it and do what you're told. And and just, And we've lost a lot of that in society. You know, we get told, you can go be whatever you want to be. Define who you are and dream and blah, blah, blah. Well, sometimes that's not the case. You know, the reality is we are created to serve and obey our Father in heaven. And that, and he puts restrictions on what we can and can't do. And that will dictate some of the career path that you and and kids take in life. And you have to decide for yourself, okay, he knows everything, made everything, and cares about us and wants the best for us. And so... Even if we get a, quote, good opportunity, but it won't allow us to serve God how he says to in his scriptures, that is not a good opportunity, and that's not what's best for us. You know, I've heard people say, well, I think God wants me to be happy. Where did God ever freaking say that? No, he wants you to obey. And if you obey, then you'll really be happy. Not if, if, um, well, if I, you know... You know, so it's not okay to do something wrong to to get an opportunity that seems like it's coming along. Oftentimes, you know, the road to hell is paved with our good intentions. That's usually what gets us into trouble more than um, us being like, well, F you God, I'm going to go do what I want. You know, that rarely rarely happens. <laughs> more often than not... <laughs> We have to say no to opportunities. Even in my own life, the bigger problem in my life has not been trying to find opportunities or things that come along to whatever, for, for whatever various reasons. It's more like having the clarity and the discernment to choose the, from the things that come along so that it doesn't keep me from living for God and being obedient to God. Because especially in the diaspora, everything's messed up, everything is chaotic and confusing, and it's so hard to differentiate in our lives um, how, how to obey God. I often hear, like, well, how do I know what God wants? You know, especially in the Christian world. How do I know the will of God? You know, in, in, in normative Christianity, we get, it gets turned into this, you know, pray about it and, and, you know, whatever you feel like the Spirit's leading you. And I th- there is truth to that. But on the other hand, I think it's much actually simpler than that. I believe if we are obeying God's word and we're serving him, then if we want to switch a career or move or go to school here or there or another place, um, I don't know that that matters so much. I think you know, if we're living a life for God and we're keeping his commandments and we're trying to serve him and not allow things to get between us and God, then if you want to, you know, be a construction worker or a plumber, I don't know that God cares that much. You know, he can use you wherever. So, bringing it all back to the Levites, there, it does, though, it will put restrictions on your life because they were called to a person, purpose to serve God in the tabernacle, in the temple, um, for their whole lives. They didn't get out of it. They didn't get retire, well, so to speak, but... You know, they got retired from active service at a certain age, depending on their, whether they were a yeah, priest or a Levite. Yeah, 50 yes, for the Levites, and I think I think 60 for the priests or something like that. But, yeah, so, but they still had to actually help the brethren. They just didn't do the service within the actual tabernacle proper because there was a, a lot that went into it. thought that was cool, actually, that, you know, there was a time of service. Right. Yeah, 25 and then relieved years.
1: And you a little bit of it, and then you kind of were background service. Mm-hmm.
0: And it went by course. Like, not everybody, not all the Levites were living in Jerusalem at one time. They lived all over the, the different uh, areas, and um, and they were responsible for for teaching and keeping order. Basically, they were the police. They were the uh, pastors and teachers and of, of the land. Essentially, that's what they enforced. They were um, they were highly trained, very disciplined, and. Um, but when they were in decay and that's, you know, when you read as you keep going on and the priesthood falls apart and the Levites fall apart, everything starts to fall apart. Okay. So let's keep going here. Uh, yeah. If we go down to, um, if we go down to 23, Yehovah spoke unto Moses saying, this is, th- uh, this is is it that belongeth unto the Levites? From twenty and five years old and upward, they shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. From the age, And from the age of fifty years, they shall cease waiting upon the service thereof, and shall serve no more, but shall minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of the congregation to keep the charge, and shall do no service. Thus shalt thou do unto the Levites, touching their charge. Um, and then it goes on, and we we read about the observance of the Passover in the second month, if you were defiled by a dead body, or if you were on a journey afar off and couldn't keep it. Um, and um, and it makes a point in verse fourteen, if a stranger shall sojourn among you, or in chapter nine, fourteen, if a stranger shall sojourn among you and will keep the Passover unto Yehovah according to the ordinance of the Passover and according to the manner of the thereof, so shall he do. He shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and for him that was born in the land. So there's no conversion ceremony. There's no um, there's no differentiation. Basically, he wants to keep it, he can. And so he brings it and um, comes before God. And if, there, if you want to call this a conversion ceremony, that's probably the closest thing really you can find biblically to a quote-unquote conversion ceremony. It's just keeping the Passover so he could come in and do it just like the homeborn did to be part of the land and the people and uh, so the tabernacle was reared up namely the tent of the testimony and that even there was upon the tabernacle as it were the appearance of fire until the morning so it was was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of the fire by night I just think that's so cool it must have just been amazing I wonder what it looked like too it's like was it like a still lightning bolt or was it like a, I don't know, you know, I don't know what it looked like, you know. And then it goes on in chapter 10, talks about the silver trumpets that they were to, um, that they were to make and what they were to use them for. And um, then we got uh, Moses' father-in-law at the end of chapter 29, talks to him. And uh, then 11, you get the people complaining and uh, displeases God. And so he puts fire in the Mars parts of the camp. And uh, in verse 4 of chapter 11, the mixed multitude. <laughs> Paul, I, love, I think this part's funny. Well, it's not funny. The mixed multitude, verse 4 of chapter 11, that was among them fell lusting. So you have to understand too, this mixed multitude is the same group of people that says, and a mixed multitude went up with them, with the children of Israel. I personally believe these were people who left, who had not put the blood on the door. I think they tagged along as, as they went. And so I don't think they had actually uh, uh, entered into covenant with God. And so... You mean initially in Egypt? In Egypt. Right. Okay. Yeah, in Egypt, yeah.
1: But losing of the firstborn was the last straw to go. Okay, yeah, God. I think so. <laughs> <There you are. laughs> yeah, and then we're out of here. Yeah. I forget. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Huh. Um. So the chil- and the children of Israel also wept again and said, "Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic." But now our soul is dried away, and there's nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. <laughs> yeah. How quickly they forget, you know, the bondage it's that a they were... test, though. Are you going to be satisfied
1: with my provisions, or right. do you need something else? And those right. that need something else come to the surface as
0: the problem. As the problem, exactly. Yep, those who complain about what God has given them. And this is the same live with the Levites, you know. Got you get, it's that saying we even use at home. You get what you get, and you don't get upset. We do that, we say that, we say that with the kids, and no whining. We even have a sign. And we even have a sign, no whining. So, you know, they, it's interesting again, though, to me, how it's food. Because food is so pivotal in our lives. Even, like, the one day that I typically fast on, you know, you know, every year I'm reminded, and I'm not saying that's you have, you shall fast, or thus you burn in hell. I'm just saying, anyways, that's another topic. But I fast on Yom Kippur, and you realize how your day is completely structured around your food. And when you're not eating, it's typically all you think about, and especially when you, you can't have your morning coffee.
1: Ah, there's a verse that says uh, you <laughs> By two
0: o'clock in the afternoon, you know, all you can think about, all you can think about is your pounding headache because you're having caffeine withdrawals. So, they, God drags them out into the, into the uh, wilderness and puts them on a diet. He says, we're going to purify you people. And uh, I'm going to feed you with my bread. You know, that's what he does. He takes them out of everything. And that's exactly what he does for us. Uh, we're not even getting the right past. We're not, And he takes, it's the same thing for us, because it, Egypt is a picture of the world. It's a picture of bondage. It's a picture of mixture, because, um, you know, they had a pharaoh, a king that was ruling over them, and there was all tons of people there, and it was all mixed up in a mixture. And So God pulls them out of that, takes them into the wilderness, where there's nothing. It's quiet. Have you ever gone hiking in the mountains, and it's just... I was thinking about it the other night because where we live now we can hear the highway from our house at night but when I've gone camping up in the White Mountains and you get far enough into the mountains the quiet it's so quiet it's almost deafening that it's just it's an eerie feeling to hear literally nothing. And so that's what God does. He takes them out and removes all foreign influence in their lives and then he injects back into them his word. And he says, you know, forget about all those laws that you had. Forget about those customs you had. Forget about that culture you had. You are now born again as my people, my firstborn. You're a fresh baby that's now in this family. Whatever family you were living in, it's dead to you now. And now here's how we live. And here's the food we eat. Except... We still wrestle with that old nature that we have because our flesh is not fully transformed until the resurrection and we get our new bodies and so we're constantly battling with the flesh and we remember our old ways and those tasty things and you walk by the ca- morning cafe and you smell the bacon mm-hmm. you know and um, but those who follow lusting and complain as we read and the other thing is so fascinating, to me too. They want meat. So God gives them meat. And it's, and it's usually interesting to me that if you want it bad enough, and understand, I'll try to clarify how I'm saying this. If you want it bad enough, and it's usually our bad desires, God gives you what you want. Because eventually, just like a kid who's disobedient and says, I'm not to listen to you. I'm going to do, do whatever I want. Eventually, the parent has to say, Fine. You want to do what you want? Go for it. And so the parent gives the child exactly what he wants, and the child reaps the consequences of their actions. So uh, Moses just gets really angry. He comes to the end of himself. And uh, um, well let's let's back let's back up. So uh it talks about the manna and verse 10 of chapter 11. Moses heard the people weep throughout the families, every man at the door of his tent, and the anger of Yahweh was greatly kindled. And Moses was also displeased. And Moses said unto Yahweh, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? Wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight? That thou hast laidest the burden of all these people upon me? Have I conceived all these people? Have I begotten them? That thou shouldst say to me, Carry them as of thy bosom, as a nursing father, bear the suckling child, and the land where swearest unto their fathers. When should I have flesh to give all these people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh to eat. I'm not able to bear all these people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou dost deal with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. And if I found favor in thy sight, let me not see my wretchedness. <laughs> so he's just, he's done with them. Yeah. He just, he's just done. He's like, if this guy was going to be, just kill me now. So they appoint the 70 elders and God takes the spirit uh, that's on Moses uh, uh, with this special endowing of the spirit to lead which comes from God, he gives unto these 70 elders to help lead. And so, um, so then we get down to um, 18. And now say unto the people, sanctify yourselves tomorrow, for you shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of Jehovah, saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore Yehovah will give you flesh, and you shall eat. And you shall eat not one day's, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten, nor twenty, but a whole month until it comes out your nostrils. Then <laughs> it'll be loathsome unto you, because that you have despised Yehovah, which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? You know, so that's the thing that happens, you know, when you when you when we complain against what God has given us. Um it's you're despot. We're despising God, and it so he.
1: Me that in the in that <laughs> setting and in the true presence of God, that they could still act in this manner and just be like so, like yeah, you'd think. Yeah, you'd think after seeing
0: everything and seeing the fire above and seeing the clouds and, but the truth is. <sighs> um. What we see with our eyes doesn't and it's been like this for all mankind doesn't impact us enough to really change our behavior um, because and that's what Yeshua said because the God the man um, uh, dies or I was just reading it in Luke but anyways he says. Even if one were to rise from the dead, they have Moses and the prophets, and they, if they hear not them, they will not hear one who rises from the dead. Which we would all think if somebody, you know, if I just plop dead and you can resuscitate me, and then I come back up, oh, you listen. No, no. And, and, and that's the picture all through history. Uh, and even today, you know, because of everything we see anymore, nobody really you can't trust what you see with your eyes Is part of the thing, problem too and so the condition of mankind is it has to be something that transforms within you and your heart and your spirit to want to serve and obey god despite what happens around you and um so moses is like where am i gonna get all this food god says in 23 yehovah said unto moses is yehovah's hand wax short Thou shalt see whether or not my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. And, and um, so the spirit gets put on them. And if we drop down to verse 33, while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of Yehovah was kindled against the people. and Yehovah smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of the place Kirbath Hatabah, because there they buried the people that lusted. So this is a whole bunch of complaining that goes on. In the beginning, the people complain, and God sends fire into the uttermost parts of the camp. and the mixed multitude lusts for food. God gives them the food, and then He kills them. And then Miriam in verse chapter twelve and Aaron complain against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman who he married. Um, and, and and I don't know if it was so much that, but there was some sort of deep seated. Um, complaint against Moses, or resentment that they had for Moses, because in verse 2 it says, they said, had Yehovah indeed spoken only by us? Hath he not spoken also, or by Moses? Has he not spoken also by us? And yeah, Yehovah heard it. Um, the same thing happened uh, in the rebellion of Korah. They said, all the people are holy. We're holy. How come you're the only ones that are holy? We know what happened in that story. And, um, what I love is the response that God says to him. Uh, four, the Ye- Yehovah spoke suddenly unto Moses. I love that. At the highest levels when there's insurrection, I mean, God's like right there. He deals with it immediately. And I think that's a good ma- model even for us in our own assemblies and our congregations. When there's, when there's dissension, it needs to be dealt with immediately and nipped in the bud. So Yehovah spoke suddenly unto Moses and Aaron and Miriam said, Come out, you three, into the tabernacle of the congregation." It came out. It's like, oh, man. Hmm. Yehovah came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. I mean, they had been thinking, great, we're dead. We're dead. They heard the on the floor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I... See, so he, he addresses... It's interesting. God doesn't address whether Moses taken the Ethiopian woman. He addresses that they say, hasn't God also spoken through us? It's the authority. And I think what tends to happen is, especially in in assemblies and stuff, those who try to usurp authority usually use a shortcoming in the life of a leader as reason to usurp their authority. But Moses wasn't perfect. Whether or not he should have taken the uh, Ethiopian woman, who knows? We don't really know if Mir- if um, uh, uh, Zipporah was still alive or not. Was he taking another wife? I, we don't know. Uh, I personally think that she was probably dead, but we don't know that for sure. Um, but either way, they, they try to tack on to their hostile takeover. Uh, they try to validate their hostile takeover. We'll see what he's doing. You know, Hasn't God spoken us to, through us? And that happens a lot uh, within congregations and communities. But God gets really angry about that. So he says, Hear now, in verse 6, And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, Yehovah, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I will speak unto him in a dream. My mo- servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, not in dark speeches, and the similitude of Yehovah shall he behold. It's pretty amazing. Wherefore then, uh, wherefore, then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of Jehovah was kindled against them, and he departed. So Miriam becomes leprous, and um, Aaron cries unto Moses and says, you know, lay not the sin upon us, and uh, Moses uh, uh, appeals to God and asks uh, the healer, and God says, well, you know, if, if she had been insubordinate to her parents, she'd be kicked out for seven days. So She gets kicked out seven days, and they all wait for her until she can come back into the camp. And the reason why Miriam gets struck with, some people have wrestled with, why is it Miriam that actually gets struck with um, leprosy and not Aaron? And some people say, well, man, Aaron was high priest, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's because, and and it's, it's, it's alluded to in the order of and Miriam and Aaron spake against in verse one Moses, but in, if you look at it in the Hebrew, it's uh, it's clear it, it shows clearly in the structure of this sentence structure that it's actually Miriam who instigates it, not Aaron. And Aaron goes along. He shouldn't have gone along, um, but it was Miriam who initiated it. Kind in of that, like Adam and Eve. Basically, and so she gets uh, she gets struck with leprosy, not Aaron. And that is our 12th portion. Oh, yeah, let's go, go to um, Nehemiah. We'll see how far we get there. Ezra, Nehemiah, Mr. Joseph. Ah! It's okay, it's waterproof. Just fill your bubbles. Yeah. It's waterproof. all right, yeah. So, Nehemiah, we're going to look at 1 and 2. So, Nehemiah, it starts out, he's in captivity in Shushan under um, King Xerxes. And um, and it's pretty cool what happens. Basically, you know, they've gone into captivity, but they're still. I believe that he went into captivity with the first, because they they weren't all carried off at once, and so I believe he was carried off and uh, part of the first wave. Because he receives word. Um, that the temple's been destroyed and the um, the wall's been broken down and burned with fire. What chapter? Uh, we're going to look at one and two. Okay. Okay. And we'll, we'll start in one um, where I really want to focus on as um, uh, <coughs> the end of chapter 2. But let's we'll start in Okay, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachlila, and it came to pass in the month of Hislu, in the 20th year, as I <coughs> was in Shushan in the, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, he and certain men of Judah, Came or came they came, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I beseech the And said, I beseech thee, O Jehovah, God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth the covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned." We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and not kept the, the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest, thy servant Moses. So I want to point out, first off, that he, he he sees and realizes, first off, that the whole reason they're in exile is because they didn't obey. Which it says, all through, what Moses told them, you know, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, I'll curse you. And so they're in exile. It's the same thing now. We're in exile because of our sins and for not keeping the covenant and the commandments and God uh, had to scatter his people. Uh, But now he is slowly regathering them in their hearts uh, to begin with. Um, Verse eight. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me, and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost parts of heaven. Yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive in the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy uh, servants. Who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant his mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. So here he is. He's the king's cupbearer. He's in exile, um, you know, in captivity. Uh, and he realized that, this, that they're there because they've broken the covenant, they've broken the commandments. And um, But then he basically, he, um, I don't know how to put it, but he. He calls out God on his own promises. He says, Look, you know, I know we've transgressed and we've sinned and our fathers have sinned and we repent and we're here because of our sin. But you said, if we'll turn back to you, as Moses, your servant, said, that you'll gather us from wherever we're scattered and will bring us back to your land. And he basically calls upon him to honor his word. And this is essentially the same thing we're doing now. <clears throat> so, what happens? Verse chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, that's the first month of the year. That would be the month of Aviv. In the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had been before time sad. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. And when the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? There's, uh, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. I said unto the king, I, I love how he was honest too. You know, he didn't hold back. You know, he, he told him the truth. Because I don't know, for me, I, oftentimes, you know, I, you know, you self censor yourself, and I go, oh, just you know, my dog died or something. You know, my dog is dead. <laughs> uh, uh, three, and said unto the king. Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I love that part. So he tells him the truth. He says, How can I not be sad when the city of my father's sepulchers and the gates of my homeland lie in waste and are burned with fire? And then the king says... Well, what do you want? What do you, what do you want to do about it? You know, it's, I don't know. Maybe he was shocked. And I imagine he maybe was because he praised right there on the spot. Now, obviously it must have been short, you know. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy fa- servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou would send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. The king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall the journey be? When will thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Pretty cool. I mean, just like that, it all turns. Moreover, I said to the king, if you please the king, let letters be given me by the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's uh, force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into it. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. And when Sanballat the Horite and Tibiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved, these are the bad guys, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And that's going to be the case. And this is still the case. Those who are the enemies of God, it will grieve them when you seek the welfare of the children of Israel. <clears throat> so I came to Jerusalem and was there th- uh, three days. And I, So he goes out at night now, and he's going to survey it and walk around. <clears throat> and I rose at night and had uh, some few men with me. Neither told I any man that my God was put in my heart to do Jerusalem. So I hadn't told anybody yet. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode on. And I went out by night, by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates there were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, and there was no place for the peace beast that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor the priests, nor the nobles, nor the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then I said unto them, these are the verses I want to focus on. You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. So, first off, these two verses. So he says, uh, I said unto them, You see the distress we are in now, and how Jerusalem lies waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the walls of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. And I find that so fascinating because, you know, it was a reproach, it was a disgrace that the city was still. Uh, burned with fire and it was all torn down, and people were there, but nothing was being done about it. But the time had come, and God had um, given him his, reco- his request basically to go back and letters to the king, and money and, and timber to be able to build. And so, let's no more be a reproach. And I think it's the same thing that's happening right now as God is gathering his people, Jerusalem, and he's going to rebuild his kingdom. They, are being, they have to establish themselves. And uh, verse. so I told them that the hand of God was good upon me, and also the king's words that he has spoken. And they said, let us rise up. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. So they strengthened their hands. And it's the same thing I believe we have to do as people. Is we have to strengthen our hands of our lives. Like what we're talking about with the Levites, Do do what God has given us to do and be obedient and obey him so that we can rebuild um, his kingdom, his people, his uh, ways in, on the earth and eventually over in the land. Because right now it's a reproach what's going on. You know, it's the walls, and it's all still broken down. You know, so we're not there yet. So, but what happens? 19, but when Sanbalat, the Horite, and Tobiah, The servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, and the Arabian heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing you will do? Will you rebel against the king? And I answered and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. That's what it needs to be. Even because they're gonna laugh and the scorn and you're gonna and that's what it happens in this walk, right? You you get you get it from all sides and it's happening even in the land and a physical level. You know, they 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 have set up their memorial on the temple of Mount, right, our enemies. And he he says to them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. So when you're doing God's will and you're doing what he says to do, it's God who will work it and bring it to fruition and complete it. And he will prosper. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. We will do what we're supposed to do. But they'll have no portion, no right, and no memorial in Jerusalem. And I just love that passage. So I think it's, you know, the same thing that's happening there. They were in the exile, they were in chaos, but you know, they they mourned the state of the nation and the state of things. They weren't at ease in their Zion and the exile, he was unhappy he was there. Especially when he heard the state of things. We have to realize that too, that that our land, our homeland, and our our heritage is in in desolation right now. And we need to ask God for restoration of it. so one day he will bring restoration. and But we have to strengthen our hands for that good work. And believe and know that God will, will... Prosperous to arise and build. And so. But first, it has to happen in the hearts of the people. There has to be something in the people to want to do it. And that's the first thing that happened. And then God provides the way and makes it, makes it work. So. <laughs> yes, hands in the back. So,
1: interestingly, my Bible, the Thompson Chain, has topical notes. And it says right along verse 20 separation. You know, because God will prosper us, you don't have any right with us. Uh, the God of heaven, he will prosper. Therefore, we as servants will rise up. But ye have no portion, no right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. So separation. And later on, we find out that Tobiah is like a fifth column. He's kind of trying to draw everything away and apart. Right. And one of the cool things about Nehemiah, which I'll preach on maybe next week, is he had this insight to see: no, there needs to be a line of demarcation. There right. has to be separation. Right. He's not one of these unity guys. No, right. There is separation, and he calls it right, right as it is, because right. when he leaves her period of time, and comes back. Right. Well, Tim, Obaya well, and all his cohorts of the stupid Jews that were on board with him have an insurrection going, and, he, and nothing's being done. So he goes back because they mixed again. Right.
0: Right. so exactly. you know, It's
1: this thing of separation that's so vital, so that right. you know your youth group leader isn't going over and meeting with the pope. Right. <laughs> yep. You
0: yep. know. Yeah. No. Exactly. And because it uh, it infects the work that God is doing and trying to do, because God's all about purifying His people. You know, from beginning to end. You know, He He made a pure, sterile environment in the in the garden. And it got messed up and ever since then he's been trying to pull his people out of their wickedness and their sin and their evil ways and out of the influence of the world but all along you know you got the Tobiases and the other guys that are trying to hold him back the whole way and trying to infect it and they laugh and to scorn and they make it a joke but Nehemiah stays strong and he tells it like it is you have no right no portion yeah. and no memorial I love it. you're not with us and you're not a part no of way. us and eventually what happens is they have to defend themselves, you know. God doesn't just zap them or magically rebuild it. They have to build it slowly by hand, you know, one hand with a shovel and the other with a sword in their other hand. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's how that's how God does it. And so I, I tend to think it's going to be kind of the same thing, that one day when we get to go back to land, don't know how it's all going to shake out, but I think it's going to be through his people and their dedication and their desire, you know, to strengthen their hands for the good work, uh, that God set to do. So yeah, it's just a cool story. It's just, you know, awesome. So, all right, we'll close and then we'll be kiddish. Heavenly Father God, I just thank you for Shabbat. I thank you for, um, your word. I Portion that we got to read, which is the book of Nehemiah and the truths that are in it. Help us to strengthen our hands in you to not complain, to not get weary, to uh, look to you for clarity in our lives and how to live and and the things that we need to do. uh, That we don't allow foreign matter to get in and infect us and dissuade us from being obedient to you, but that we have discernment, uh, that we always look to your word to keep your ways. We don't get sidetracked and that we don't get um, a complaining spirit within us, uh, but that we would be satisfied with what you give us because, you know, we, we know that you have created all things and that which you give us is that which we will we will ultimately be most happy and satisfied with, not what we think we will be. So I just thank you for this day and the truth of your word. Give us a good restful rest of Shabbat and a good week. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.